Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. All right. Hello, hello, hello. I'm excited to have the conversation with today's guest. It's going to be a slightly different angle than what you've experienced before on Coach to Scale. And I think you're going to love hearing her perspective on building sales organizations, innovative solutions, and inspired teams. She's an investor, an advisor, and an entrepreneur. She's the CEO and founder of Valor Performance, Inc. Sarah Milby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Matt. I'm so excited to have this conversation. You're a student of the business, student of the game. The conversation or the podcast is called Coach to Scale. And um, I couldn't be more excited to have a conversation with someone who cares so much about the topic. Now, um, we start off typically, Sarah, with a question about, like, let's call it myth busting. Um, what's a common myth about coaching salespeople? You hear a lot, but you believe is a little bit misguided. Mm. How much time do you have? Uh, there's a couple myths actually that continue to come up. I, I started the business focused on revenue generating teams, so mm -hmm. I, I may have a laundry list, <laughs> but there's a few that I'd love to call out. One that I think is a little unspoken, but but people's time allocation demonstrates that people believe most coaching needs to go to the, the problem, the problem reps, the ones that are struggling. And so every, you know, sales managers and leaders in general tend to go, we got to fix this problem, right? Especially those of us who have a strength of problem solving, we go to that area. But it's a little bit uh, of a, I'll say, misguided allocation of time and energy because it's forgetting about those high performers who, what we know of high performers, they're hungry for learning. And a phrase that I sometimes use is you got to feed the eagles. Like you got to pay attention to them yeah. to retain them, but also keep them motivated. And so the, that coaching benefits those high performers tends to be a little bit of a, a myth sometimes that people just don't find obvious. Can I ask you a question on that? Yeah, please. So, so because I share this experience and can't count the number of times when I've talked about the uh, coaching and building a coaching culture with leaders uh, or even with, with eagles. And, and I say, hey, so tell me about the coaching and how, that, how that's working with your managers. They say, no, I'm not, you know, Sarah, I, um, I crushed it last year. I'm actually, I've, I, I crush it every year. Uh, my, my manager doesn't coach me. He's, you know, coaching obviously the people who need it. Right. So, so it's almost as if, if you're being coached, you did something wrong. Yeah. God, it just infuriates right. me because it's, it's not the right framing. I mean, I feel like if I'm, if I'm doing anything and why I started Valor, it's to ensure that people realize that what got you here, so maybe you have been successful, isn't necessarily going to be what gets you there to the next point. And by the way, the best of the best have coaches. 
the best athletes, the best executives, like they're always looking to kind of sharpen and improve their craft, whatever that is. So I think we need to just totally reframe how we're thinking about coaching. So it's not just to those problems. And that's both for the sales manager to pay attention to, but also for the recipient of coaching. How do we make it so they can engage and be eager and curious to learn something new, to have a new tool in their toolkit and see it as a huge investment in them, not only in the short term as far as their role at that organization, but frankly, for the rest of their career. Makes a ton of sense. And I took you off uh, your your track a little bit there. So you talked about coaching the problem. Um, and then you're going to, you're going to go to the next one and I cut you off. Well, I guess I sort of think about, so the who gets coaching. And so that's what we just talked about. There's also the, um, what to coach and then there's the how to coach. And unfortunately, I think coaching is such a buzzword now that people think that they're coaching by being quite directive or maybe just asking an open-ended question, and they define that as coaching. So I think there needs to be skill development on coaching to give people some confidence, some experience with coaching. Mm -hmm. So they're not just kind of thrown in to an expectation to coach without the skills and support to do so effectively. So in essence, you're saying, coach the person, not the problem. It's co- exact. Well, you have to think of the layers, right? You have to think of the layers. And many people will pay attention to, let's say, the problem or maybe a, um, uh, in the case of sales, right? The, the deal, let's say, coaching, yeah. instead of thinking about the underlying drivers that, that got to that point and being able to address some of those like below the water elements that are going to help set up that person to be more empowered and equipped to handle situations, not only in that very same situation deal, let's say, but for the long-term, which is why investing in sales managers at frontline and second line in sales is a critical strategy to scale because what ends up happening is you get these super sellers promoted into management, not given some of these skills, and they're just doing they're doing too many jobs they're running all the deals again they're just super sellers they haven't built up the extracting themselves and now building a a culture and processes and systems to actually run an effective sales team so okay so we let's talk about that the deal right a lot of times managers over index and focus on coaching the deals and when they're asked about that, they acknowledge that it might even be short term, but they say, you know, like, or they intimate my boss, the, 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 you know, the board, um, you know, they, they want, they, they want the deals of the deals of the deals. Now you haven't been the boss. You, you are, you've started companies. You are an advisor. What do you say to those managers who over index and are too myopically focused on deals? I would say it makes sense. I think, I think sales managers, leaders in general, um, are in a pressure cooker. They're fielding a ton of heat, uh, above them from the top level executives, from the board, from the investors. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and they have a group now that they're responsible for that is pulling on their attention. And so it is not surprising that you see a lot of first and second line managers, the highest rate of burnout. So what do I say? Okay, well, I would say so much, and this is where the power of having a coach comes in, is to bring intentionality. Another way to think about that is being strategic with your time and energy management. Hmm. Time and energy management. We all need that. Tell me a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in other words, it's almost like um, when you're in a pressure cooker, it's not surprising that many people take on a a directive leadership style. Do this, do that. Mm -hmm. Go to the left, go to the right. Okay. It's, It's the fastest way to get to action. And what I would encourage people, leaders, managers in general, is just to take a minute to think about how to frame uh, those conversations with your reps or those direct reports to ensure that they're also building up their muscles instead of just going straight to the chase with directive, being thinking about wearing one of your, you know, coaching leadership styles, for instance, um, to empower them. So what that requires, though, that I think is another actual myth, or maybe just not practiced skill, is a lot of self-regulation on the side of the manager. They're in this pressure cooker. The fastest route is just to go super directive. And now you're telling me, I got to practice this new muscle that I'm not super confident in a coaching, wear my coaching hat, and I have to be thoughtful and intentional. I have to take time to be efficient. It's, it's a little bit of taking that step back to then be more effective going forward. But what I'm here to say is it will pay off. It feels like it's going against the current to where you want to go in that directive leadership style and going into the deal. Mm-hmm. But if you can do so effectively you're then going to elevate your entire team. And you're going to be able to think about not just, thank God we closed out this month, this quarter, like the, the constant you know, sprint, but it's a marathon. Um, you're going to be building out a team, and this is why it positions the organizations to scale, that all have the skill sets to see not just what you see, but also have their own judgment to apply to a deal and to a prospect, et cetera. So it's, it, it feels counterintuitive to some leaders and managers, but that intentionality and self-awareness is going to be critical. Okay. So it, it, it does seem counterintuitive to a lot of uh, leaders and managers. And I think if you're talking to a new frontline manager, he or she will say, Sarah, what you're saying makes sense. I agree with you. But and they'll point up, uh, you know, up the org chart. So what you're talking about, the directive, uh, directive style versus the coaching style, uh, the coaching style is the longer game. Uh, but you talk about the benefits. So if we're talking to CRO, let's say, why, why is it worth it? Why is it worth that investment to, in that longer game? How is it going to pay off? for them and for the company down the road? Oh, there's many ways to take that. I mean, well, first, let me just clarify. I think it's really important 
the self-awareness that I talked about needs to be combined with the situational awareness of which leadership style for which moment. I don't, I want to be clear. There is a time and a place to be directive. Mm-hmm. And there's a time and place to coach. And I'm committed to ensuring that leaders have all the tools in their toolkit and the ability to understand how their self-awareness and the situational awareness informs which tool to use. So that's just a quick clarification. Uh, You're hitting on a a really important point, which is a little bit about nodes of change and building a coaching culture, because having the sales manager say, yes, 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 and having that ripple effect to the reps, that's valuable. But even more valuable is with, of course, executive alignment and starting with the top. So it's it's not just the sales manager down, but now you have this whole chain of filtering a coaching culture and an appreciation, which there's a couple different elements to, well, we can get into some of the ingredients that are necessary, but to answer your question on the overall value prop, I mean, there's been incredible demonstration of organizational and business impact when you combine coaching with your classic sales methodology. And we're talking 4X increase in yielded return when you combine coaching with sales methodology training. So it is a huge opportunity for the business to benefit if they appreciate the value of coaching. Okay, so if I'm a CEO, if I'm a CFO, if I'm a board member, 4X, you have my attention. Right. Okay. So like what's in it for me? Right. Okay. Forex that, that, that's, you got me. So, but these cultures that you're talking about, they don't just happen, do they? It, it sounds like you need to be intentional about building it when you start from the, when you say it starts from the top down. Can you talk about that? My favorite word back to intentionality, because you, you, any leader, you have, you have a culture, what you're feeding and nurturing what you value may be different than how others would perceive your culture. So you have to bring that intentionality. So let's go back to that directive leadership style. If I'm super task oriented and directive, I am building a certain type of culture. Now, is that the one I want? Well, I let's make sure that I'm being thoughtful and it's all my actions are congruent and I, I pause there just because it's a super important point to ensure that the actions of leaders is congruent with the values that they're stating for their organization in order to build a healthy culture. What's an example of not being congruent? Okay. So, uh, well, one key ingredient to good coaching relationships. So let's say co- building a coaching culture. Yeah. Trust. So I may say as a leader, team, you got to come to me with problems. You need to come to me with problems. Why don't you come to me when this situation came up? And you got to pause and think about now, have I created the environment to make that an easy decision for someone on my team to come to me, to not be scared, to raise a problem, to share with me a risk? Do I have trust with my team 
that that's going to be acceptable, that they can easily share something like that. And so, and we see this all the time in coaching different organizations that sometimes the values are just like the words on the wall. Um, so like another good yes. example of kind of this on this trust element um, is this whole idea of like fail fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these companies promote fail fast, fail fast. Let's, you know, iterate, move fast. Okay. Then what happens? How do you respond when that actually happens? Are you like, I can't believe you just failed. I can't believe you made a mistake. And you somehow aren't celebrating the demonstration of that value. Well, then that that needs to call your that needs to be yeah. figured out because that's incongruent. And humans, I was going to say your team, and humans just pick up on that. And that's not a trusting type of culture that then promotes what you're actually looking to get out of your team. So having that intentionality as a leader, which by the way is a huge value of having a coach, because they can just help be. Uh, a trusted third party to help you think through these things. So you can be more intentional going forward with your team. So uh, one of the best examples that I can recall of embodying that fail fast or that fail forward fast type of culture was uh, this, this leader every month that um, she had a, you know, a, a team leadership meeting, not a leadership meeting, but an org wide meeting. And they would talk about the, the month in the, in that just passed. They talk about the month going, going forward. And she would talk about, okay, um, let's talk about the biggest failure that we had and what we learned from it. And she would bring up this person, like an individual contributor to talk about the failure. Now, can you imagine this? I mean, in the environments that you and I probably grew up in, most environments, most cultures, no one ever wanted to talk about failure. And if you were an individual contributor, the last thing you wanted to do was get in front of your peers and talk about how you suck. Um, but yet, this organization kind of embodied that fail forward fast, learn from mistakes, you know, et cetera. And they, and they, put it on a pedestal and talked about it every month. I love so, it. I love it. Um, so you, you talk about other words that, you know, traits, values that are, you know, just cliches, but aren't practiced in reality. Another one that I hear a lot is our people are our number one asset, <laughs> you know, or our, our manager, our leadership team's the most important. Yet, the data is very clear that uh, from a training perspective, I think it's less than 9% of all training and investment dollars goes into developing uh, leaders of today and, and tomorrow. Yeah. And so I'd be interested to get your, your, your take on that because a lot of times what happens is that battlefield promotion in a sales organization, let's say, Sarah, well, you did a great job last year. You really crushed it as a as an account executive, now you're a manager, you know, thoughts and prayers, right? But no training. So I kind of covered a, lot, a couple of different angles there, but basically it's organizations aren't always willing or able to put their money where their mouth is in terms of investing in their leaders. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's, it's just striking a chord with me because not only is it that what you mentioned about the battlefield promotion and being thrown in the deep end without the support, 
that not only is a disservice to that individual, but that's actually a huge uh, detriment to the business. The business then hasn't built up its leadership capacity, its leadership bench to easily pull from, right? Think about a sports team. Like if you don't have your bench ready to go on the field, mm -hmm. so uh, it's, it's not preparing for the zigs and zags that every business is undergoing right now. And so it's a competitive advantage. It's another way to think about it for a team to have given these skills, maybe to someone who's not yet in the seat, but you're preparing to maybe one day, or by the way, this is hitting on another point that you kind of alluded to is how do we value our people? Compensation is like the classic people rely on. Oh, well, we, we pay very competitive on market. And yes, important. And our benefits plan, important. And people in the modern workforce look for other demonstrations of being valued. And like, what? like their growth and development. They're craving it. We, how many McKinsey reports do we have to read that's talking about the modern workforce across generations is looking for skill development that they can, again, take with them, not only for in their current role and at that organization, but for their career. And we frankly, what's interesting is we know this when we hire. If you read any, let's say, account executive or sales manager, whatever, in revenue generating teams, you read the job descriptions and they're always like, we need people who are creative. They are incredible connectors. They can adapt to change. They see the opportunity and challenge. They're uh, lifelong learners, always looking to learn new things. Okay, so we attract that talent because we know it's valuable, but then now we're not feeding it. And yeah. so I think in general, the modern workforce, sales and other functions, we have been so hyper-focused on some of the process and methodology that we've squeezed out what we know now is going to be a competitive advantage, which are some of these more, it's human skills, creativity, human connection, uh, building relationships, learning. So I think you're exactly right that the companies that are going to succeed as far as in the next frontier are going to know that ensuring that their team has the variety of skills, development, and paths is going to ensure the success in the long, long term of the organization. Good stuff. So it had me thinking about that, like, because there's so much pressure, you, you use the word pressure cooker, uh, that it's the drive to perform, right? Like this, this quarter, this month. Mm -hmm. um, is is the most important quarter or month ever is kind of a, a joke in, in the business. But then let me ask you this. We're, we're going into Q4. The year's 2023 is going to be ending soon. Is it better if you're a leader of an organization to look back and have, and you know, let's just say, blow it out, you're 130% of, of quota, but only a third of the individual contributors made their number. Right. So the team, the organization blew it out, let's say 130%, but only a third of the individuals made their number. Right. Or is it better 
to maybe not perform as highly, let's call it 110, 115% of the number, but everybody on the team makes their number. What's better? Mm. Well, I'm curious your perspective, Matt. For me, the latter, uh, any day, it's kind of the short-term versus long-term. Like what's what perspective are you taking? It may seem like a short-term gain, but if you think about the team engagement, motivation, commitment, going into 24, I'll take the latter any day. Also, what I've definitely learned is the ripple effect. Now, if I go to hire, how they're going to ask about how the team did. So the latter sets up the business for having a successful Q4 and having a great engaged team heading into 24. What do you think based on your experience? I think it's better to have everyone making their number. Um, as a leader, that was always my, my goal because I was on a team that had that. And I sat next to a team that had what I described, right? That dichotomy of, you know, um, some, a team that blows it out with only a couple of rock stars versus a team that does a little bit less, but everyone makes it. And the culture of that team is one where people want to be part of it. They want to join it. There's a line of people waiting to be on that team. But the reason why there's a line is because nobody wants to leave it. And so uh, someone that I interviewed on the show, uh, Sean Harvey, he's a CRO of a, a SaaS company. He, he made the comment, it was something along the lines of, I want to invest in you to make it so that you can go wherever you want, but you never want to leave. And so that's the, the long game. And you reference the cult, the, that the data shows that the, the longer term investing in people it might be more difficult. It might be a, a little bit of a steeper climb, but over the long run, it's more sustainable, more profitable, et cetera. Well, so is having an organization that people want to be a part of, people want to thrive in. Nobody wants to be the only person that didn't make their number, but if only two people make it, then the other uh, high percentage, if only a third make it, the other two thirds say, eh, you know, listen, I didn't make it, but most people didn't. Right. I don't want to be part of that. Right. Right. Well, Winner, think, winners, winners want to be part of a winning team. Well said. Well said. And now you've made the norm being a low performance culture as opposed to the expectation of we are a high performing team. It's a high performing culture. And then the, then, you know, oh, there's too many underperformers. So the company has to cut costs. So what do they do? They lay, you know, they, fire some people, they lay some people off. They don't, they don't fire the Eagles, but then the Eagles look around and say, do I want to be part of this? And then boom, that's when the, the back of the organization is really broken. When the people you can't afford to leave, you don't want to leave. They're the ones that end up leaving. And that's and, what, that's and, what catches the CRO and the head of sales, but flat footed is when those Eagles leave. Yeah. You, you, Talked about, uh, I saw something uh, online that you posted or reacted to. It was a Hemingway quote. Uh, anyone who knows me kind of laugh at quoting Hemingway. Um, <laughs> but, but my favorite book is The Sun Also Rises. Uh, but also uh, the, the quote was, courage is grace under pressure. You mentioned that was one of your favorite quotes. 
why and how does it apply to what we're talking about? Uh, I, I could talk about courage all day. I named the business Valor, Heroic Courage for a reason. I love that quote um, because I love how Hemingway defines courage being grace under pressure. I think for courage, I grew up in a family, grandfather fought in World War II, my dad was in the army, that courage was kind of this uh, saved word for these huge acts, these grand acts. And I feel like that does a little bit of a disservice to the everyday acts of courage. You know, we've we talked a little bit about skill development, professional development. And by nature of that, it requires getting out of your comfort zone, trying some new things. Mm -hmm. And that takes courage. Uh, having a direct, candid conversation, giving and receiving feedback. These, a lot of people, a lot of people are very fearful of these types of conversations. We see it in our, in the data across our platform. It's one of the most common topics, for instance, is giving and receiving feedback. And some of those conversations, they require courage, some new muscles. And I think so much of leadership is also the courage to like figure yourself out, have that self-awareness of how you're showing up. How are you staying in the moment? How are you controlling your emotions? How are you motivating yourself? How are you handling rejection? And then thinking about how you're modeling and leading your team, which is critical during change, all of which requires courage. Um, feedback, when the courage to give feedback and, mm -hmm. and maybe the courage to receive feedback and do something about it, it's probably could talk about that too, but the courage to give feedback that someone might not be like really psyched to hear in the moment. Talk, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because right, that is when you, in a, a lot of the reading and study about coaching organizations, coaching cultures, what makes a great coach, part of it is the ability to give feedback. And feedback's not all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. And but so a lot of a lot of managers are are reluctant to do it. Why is that? A couple elements that we've we've hit on that I'll I'll summarize. We talked about individual contributors have promoted into management, and especially if people were uh, peers with individuals that now they're more senior to, or even if that's not the case, there's still a uh, a, a mindset that you either are a compassionate leader or you're a results driven leader. Instead of, you can be compassionate and results-driven. They're not mutually exclusive. Sometimes we love to think in these like black and white mindsets yeah. instead of realizing that actually having those direct conversations is part of your care for your team. You're helping them grow. So now this gets back to another element that we discussed, which is just that culture of coaching, or maybe a better way to put it is just like a, a always learning culture. Cause that's what some of these conversations really are. They're just opportunities to grow and learn. I, I do think though, that there are processes and strategies that managers, leaders can do to make it more part of the day-to-day -day and not these big uh, interventions, conversations. 
right? So having the, it's just part of our, I'll just give some uh, examples from internal Valor, um, but also what we see with some some of our customers, just having the opportunity within one-on-ones to part of the agenda is always exchanging feedback. What's working well? What are opportunities? And it just becomes, it. you're almost, um, you're immune to like, okay, okay. And then some, some quick feedback. It's not as scary when it becomes these little micro conversations as opposed to Matt, we need to have a, we need to have a conversation. You know, you don't want to wait. You don't want to wait and you don't want anybody to be surprised. You want these little micro coaching, learning, feedback conversations to be just part of the day-to-day. Uh, you talk about that, that, can I just give you, can I give you some feedback? Um, you talk about the one-on-one. Sarah, how important is the one-on-one? And I want to frame it a little, a little bit. Um, a lot of the managers I talk to, and this is a function of, of time uh, management, but it's when I, when I ask, oh, uh, tell me about your one-on-ones. Oh, uh, you know, have them, uh, you know, let's just say every week. That's not usually what I hear, but let's just, you know, use the, the minority. Yeah, I have it every week. Oh, so talk to me about the, the setup, the, the flow, the agenda. Oh, you know, we talk about deals uh, for the first part of it. And then, uh, you know, we talk about them for, for the second part of it. And then the question might be, well, if the deals are going south, how often do you get to the other stuff? <laughs> um, and we both know the answer is not often. Um, but can you talk about how important is the one-on-one? What are best pa- practices around frequency? And what are some of the things that should be included in that? You touched on one, which is actionable, quick feedback, but what else? I, I, I Let's go back to some of the elements as far as overall building capacity of the team. I mean, I think about skill development. So, you know, you almost want to have different lenses as a leader where you can go micro, micro actions, but you can also go macro. And again, this is where having the different tools in your toolkit, because sometimes you may just need to be more directive. And sometimes you want to be focused on capacity building, skill development. Here's some elements that I've really seen you improve over these past few weeks. I've noticed that you have your preparation has really increased. I've noticed your uh, delivery being more succinct, whatever it is. And now I'd love to think about how we can augment and give you opportunities to demonstrate your skills in, uh, you know, uh, strategic stakeholder alignment, uh, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. And so again, judgment call, sometimes I think of little pie charts, like the percent of the one-on-one and you want to just make sure that you're paying attention to how much is professional development, deal tracking, um, you know, miscellaneous questions, because those also come up. But what we see is many people shy from those coaching conversations, or they say that they're having the coaching conversations, but it's not really coaching conversations. It's maybe just asking a question, which is not necessarily equated to coaching. Uh, And that's where what we found, and there's a Gartner report to support this, that actually a lot of sales managers struggle with the confidence to have those coaching conversations, which is why you need to give them the skills to do so. And part of that is 
having them experience good quality coaching. So that's why I always say every good coach has a coach. Does it always, so every good coach has a coach. And I saw your posts about Coco Golf and the US Open and, you know, you could pick, pick your sport. All of those athletes have many coaches um, and they're the best at their game. And, you know, so like the mere mortals, the argument is they should have a coach even more. Um, but if you're in an organization, is it, is it always the case that those great coaches exist to help, to help you? And if not, what do you do? Within the organization? The- no, no. What, what if you don't have, uh, what if you don't have, does, it, does the great coaching always have to come from within the organization? Oh, I guess is the great question. question. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, no, it doesn't need to come within the organization. Do I love it? When we work with organizations who have invested in internal coaches and internal programs to build up some coaching skills, and they recognize the value of a third party, absolutely. But it's not a dependency. We work with organizations where we are helping to build up the coaching capacity internally and provide external third party expert led coaches. Uh, and we've worked with organizations that have a ton of internal resources. The, the point is what's necessary is the appreciation on the value of coaching, the how you do it. You want to have a partner that can configure and meet you where you are, where the organization is. Uh, and that's critical because it's not, and, and I'm, I'm pretty passionate about this, in all of the organizations we work, uh, it's not cookie cutter. So a lot of the programs on our platform are going to be unique. Well, how they're set up is going to be unique to that organizational needs because they have individual cultures. They have individual uh, strategies, organizational strategies of where we need to start. We have tiered coaches, for instance. So are we starting at C-suite? Are we starting with individual contributors somewhere in the middle? How are we going to be setting up the partnership for success. And so some of that just depends on finding the right partner. Awesome. Um, and we're going to get to what Valor Performance does in a second. Before we get there, just like one lead-in question. You talk about the importance of having an appreciation for coaching and which would better fit your ideal buyer profile or your ideal client profile. What, where, did you, where did this come from? Where did your appreciation for coaching and you know how how have you, has your value system been shaped along the way I started valor out of my own need <laughs> I wish I had valor I was in uh market facing roles business development sales and I uh was put in and exposed to a ton of sales methodology training and I always found it was the what and the how. The what was very focused on the process and the methodology, which is helpful and important. I'm not saying it's not. Uh, but then the how was always kind of one and done. And so it'd go in like one year out the other, or maybe as far as the what, you do some exciting motivation mindset thing at like SKO, and then you just kind of say good luck. And like what happens when the rejection in sales is constant. How do you keep people engaged? How do you keep people motivated? So where I kept 
feeling a need was I'd pull from my experience as an athlete where I had worked with a mindset coach. And I saw this mindset coach, Paul, as a competitive advantage because I knew I was, I was super fit physically. I had a, uh, done the skill development and dribbling and shooting. I played soccer in college. Uh, but I knew that the mental skills, like I could show up on a, on a game. I was just as fit as I was before. But sometimes the ingredients on how my mindset was would determine whether it was going to, I was going to be playing, you know, on fire. I was going to be in the zone or I was going to be off. And it had to do with more of what was happening in between my two ears. So I just kept leaning on all these things that, that Paul had given me um, when I was put then into leadership roles in more market facing. And I just was like, there's got to be a better way. There's clearly a gap here in how we're setting up our teams to succeed. And then I took the idea to a few other sales executives at the time. That's where I started. The business was focused on sales um, just to hear, how are you solving this? And they validated a lot of the need. And so uh, make a long story short, it ended up where I had uh, three alpha customers who were going to be a part of our MVP launch, which was a software platform connecting with high caliber performance coaches uh, and then some guided digital content that people could do on their own time in between coaching sessions. And that's evolved now into Valor Performance, which is a global community of coaches, um, a very data-driven platform that still has self-directed learning, uh, as well as a curated library and assessments and lightweight 360s. And you touched on it before, the significance of the name Valor in the, in the, the name of the company. Can you talk about that again? A little bit more detail. Courage. So it just comes down to my obsession and appreciation for courage, which, um, as I mentioned, I, I grew up where it was, that word was saved for these grand acts, hearing about my grandfather fighting in World War II, my dad going to the army. Um, but really, I feel like we as humans, as leaders interacting with others, um, can celebrate more of just the micro acts of courage, what it means to just uh, have look at yourself in the mirror, understand how you can show up differently, understanding how, how you show up in your own energy has a contagious effect and a ripple effect on your team and others. So a lot of management and leadership training is like what to tell other people. And I think it takes courage to also pause and look at yourself, your own mindset, which then, by the way, sets you up to be more intentional as you do lead and connect with others. Um, that's a fantastic explanation. And you've touched on some people who have really impacted your career, you know, um, or not, not your career, but your, your value system, how you look at the world and the importance of leadership and development and coaching. You talked about your grandfather. You talked about your father. You talked about uh, your your performance coach, uh, Paul, I think was his name. Um, I don't know if, uh, I want to give you the opportunity to go deeper if you want here, but is there a time when that you can think of where very specifically you were the benefactor of really good coaching, but perhaps 
Yeah, it wasn't at the, you know, you were getting great coaching, but maybe you didn't appreciate it at the time, or maybe you did, but, but just talk about a time when you were the recipient of some excellent coaching. Now, uh, I, it, I you can go anywhere you want with it. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I've definitely, uh, experienced the value of high caliber coaching and, and mentorship and, uh, advisors, the variety of different, you know, personal board of directors, if you will. Um, I have great other, I've also had great role models that, you know, I want to take little snippets from and uh, absorb into my life and, uh, and, and, and inspired by inspired by, um, you know, I will tell you that I started the business for a need that I had. I underappreciated how much I would, uh, need valor to run the business. So I still have coaching. Uh, I lean on my coach to talk about different scenario plans for the business, talk about certain personnel situations, uh, talk about my own energy management, talk about my own choices and priorities. It, it's constant. You know, in leadership, you're constantly faced with a laundry list of to-dos. And I really find I benefit from having a third party to bounce ideas off of, get their perspective, but also the pattern rec recognition. So what I really love about my coach is he uh, works with other executives. And so he's able to cross-pollinate outside of just the valor walls he's able to cross pollinate to the other executives that he works with. And that's again, the value of having a third party because they can do that. Um, and so I almost feel like, like sometimes it feels like cheating. Um, you know, it's that taking a step back to be more efficient and effective. And sometimes yeah. when you have that momentum, it feels like you're just able to like leapfrog. And by the way, that doesn't happen for me in every coaching session. It's not like everyone, like, you right. know, the light bulbs go off, but you're building up. You're building up this um, this inventory, this arsenal of conversations, of thoughts, of res uh, uh, reflections that do catalyze certain like aha, clarifying moments that help me be more confident as I lead Valor to the next level. Every every great coach has a coach. You got it. I I had the benefit of working with uh, an excellent. Uh, coach for for a, a good long time, and like you said, not every, I looked forward to every session, but not every session provided that aha moment. But every session, I walked away feeling energized, feeling better about what I was doing, and I always took something from it. And sometimes it might have just been therapy, um, and just to be able to talk to somebody outside the four walls where I could just let it go and not fear that oh, this person's going to judge me. You know, they're going to question, am I committed? Am I capable? You know, should I get a raise or not get a raise? Like whatever it is, it was just good to, it was good to have that. Um, well, Sarah, I really, really enjoyed this today and learned so much. I learned that, you know, a little bit more about why every coach needs a coach, learned about the importance and of having courage to give feedback, um, learned about, you know, uh, what the Gartner article was saying is that um, great coaching doesn't have to be this huge event. It it could just you know give you a little bit of confidence. 
uh, in in doing what you're doing, right? But it's it's looking for opportunities to coach and not you know having it be a, a one and done. For example, Sarah, my guess is a, a lot of people who listen to this live in the world that we're that we've been talking about and uh, may be interested in hearing more about what you do and how you do it. How do you suggest that they get in touch with you? Well, check out ValorPerform.com and feel free to reach out to partnerships at ValorPerform.com or candidly, Matt, my email directly is just Sarah at ValorPerform.com with an H for those of you out there who know a Sarah uh, and reach out on LinkedIn too. We have a uh, great content that we post on social and to me directly. I love to meet other leaders in the space and just share learnings. Sarah, we will put uh, all of that in the in the show notes when we release it. And if uh, it's up to you, I, I don't know if we could do this, but if you send me over that Gartner article that you talked about, sure. we'd include the link to that too, if, uh, if that's okay. Um, all right. We're going to leave it right there. Sarah, really enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. If you learned something today, if you laughed, tell a friend, pass the link along. If you know someone or you'd like to hear from someone that you think would be a great contributor to the show, shoot us that recommendation. Also, it's been my pleasure to host this conversation on behalf of Coach to Scale. And until next time, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them.